This is the word of God. There's a bit of holiday reading. I've been reading this book by David Powelson. It's called Safe and Sound, Standing Firm in Spiritual Battles. David's had a big impact on my life because he taught a number of the counselling classes that I've taken. And this was actually the, the last book that he wrote before he died in 2019. But in the introduction, he tells the story of his conversion. And kind of in the background, all through his life, in his, up, up to his mid-twenties, the Lord had been drawing David gradually to himself. But the Lord really got his attention through a particular friend, Bob Kramer, a fellow uni student. And Kramer started this five-year-long conversation about Jesus with David. And Pallison says, He was the first person I met who was thoughtful about his faith. He was able to mount an intellectual defence of Christianity that was very compelling. But the reason our conversation went on for five years is because I didn't want a saviour. But on one particular day, something different happened. It was like other conversations, uh, with Bob explaining reasons for Christianity, which now made perfect sense to David. And he writes, Then Bob stopped making the case for Christianity and simply shared his heart with me. He said, Diane and I really love you and we respect you. But what you believe and how you're living, you're destroying yourself. Bob had earned the right to say this to me, and the Spirit used those words in my life. I immediately came under intense conviction of sin. My sins flashed before my eyes, attitudes, thoughts, and actions that a few minutes before I had seen nothing wrong with. Most fundamental of all, it struck me that I had not believed in the love God had for me. So Pelton followed up and asked, how do I become a Christian? And they had a conversation about God's promise of being made clean, of being given a new heart from Ezekiel. And, and then, there and then, Pelton asked, for the Lord's forgiveness. That's a sweet story, isn't it? Sweet words were spoken in the context of a friendship. A friend shared his heart with another friend. And he took the risk to be honest. What you believe and how you're living, you're destroying yourself. And the loving intent behind that honesty was heard and received. They were, those words were, were God's means of bringing life in Palestine. Don't you want to grow in sweet speech like this? Speaking in, in winsome and wholesome ways. Speaking words that enrich those around you. Well, that's our focus for today from the book of Proverbs. Uh, just to give you some context, uh, some time ago I, I had the opportunity to speak here in the early chapters of Proverbs. We kind of worked through it chapter by chapter. And, and the way I understand Proverbs is it's kind of about uh, crossroad points in our life. It's about highlighting the difference between wisdom and folly, life and death. It's about kind of bringing moments of decision that we, that we live in every day into sharp focus and helping us to live out this kind of practical daily wisdom that's shaped by fear of the Lord. Now over the next three weeks, uh, today and, and coming two weeks, we're going to be looking at Proverbs but in a, in a more thematic way this time applied to our relationships with one another. And we're kind of settled on this partly because at Ashfield here, uh, 
kind of catch cry we're wanting to, to promote to the outside world is, is meet us, meet Jesus. And I guess there's relationships really are the heart of the Christian life. It's, it's about knowing Jesus and being known by him and then knowing and being known by each other. So we're going to be thinking about Proverbs in this way. Today our focus is on our speech. Next week we'll look at self-control. And the following week, humility. In terms of an outline for today, we're going to be asking the question to start with, what is sweet speech, according to Proverbs? It's going to be that the longest section uh, for our talk today, assembling a range of concerns from Proverbs. Then we're going to be asking the question, where does sweet speech come from? And then thirdly, how do I grow in sweet speech? So, what is sweet speech? A whole lot of proverbs describing what I would call sweet speech. Which is just, I guess just a way I'm summarising the kind of wise speech that proverbs is calling us to, to live out. And that kind of speech is, is gracious. To hear sweet speech, it, it's, it's like hearing gracious words. It's like tasting something sweet. So from our passage, chapter 16, verses 23 and 24... The hearts of the wise make their mouths prudent and their lips promote instruction. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. What's honeycomb like? It's pure sweetness. It kind of melts in your mouth. It's satisfying. It's profoundly good. And that's what hearing wise speech is like. And it's sweet like wisdom. So Proverbs 24, uh, verses 14 and 15. Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Know also that wisdom is like honey for you. If you find it, there is a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. We also see that sweet words are persuasive. So the NIV renders the the verse we looked at before from chapter 16 as promote instruction. I think what it's saying is it creates a climate climate where you're willing to hear someone when they speak to you in this kind of way. And it's interesting that ESV translates Proverbs 16.23 this way, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. So we hear wisdom and it's sweet, it's compelling we actually become open to someone's influence over us. I think of my father-in-law's words to me uh, the Monday before our wedding. Uh, context was I was living in a share house and it just so happened that the group of guys who I was living with, we had to be all moved out by the day of our wedding, all of us, uh, because the owners were going to come back to occupy this house. So that, that week in the lead-up to our wedding was quite stressful and, and the Monday before the Saturday, I spoke some angry words to Haley about... Uh, her not being as good a support as I as I'd hoped she would be. And, you know, the Lord got my attention. I, I, I confessed to her my wrong in that. But I, I went for a walk with her dad, and we were just kind of chewing the fat, I guess. And he just said to me, you know, you can't, um, you can't wish that your spouse was just like you. You know, it, it's just really destructive to go there. But what I've come to learn over the years, he said, from my experience of living with Beth, is that she has so many wonderful strengths that complement my weakness. Um, And those words, they've stuck with me, and they've given me a lens to think about marriage. But there was a persuasiveness to the way he spoke with me. It's a little bit like something I came across in my biblical counselling training. One of the things we've looked at is this idea that if you describe the experience that someone else has, 
you kind of win the person. If you can describe it in such a way that they know what you're talking about, um, you, you, know, you know what they're experiencing, they actually want to listen to you. And I, I think this dynamic is why lots of people turn to self-help and different influential voices in our culture. But sadly, it can also be why some turn away from the church when, when we kind of fail to understand life well on the ground. But what we're aiming to do, if we're aiming to speak sweetly with one another, is we're wanting to know someone else's experience. But we also want our words to be sweeter than those who don't know the Lord. We want to be offering them something that's wholesome, something that's good, something that resonates really deeply because we know the author of life. We know his words about who we are and what we're made for. I think of the persuasiveness of the parental instruction that we come across in Proverbs time and time again. Because I think there's a sense in which the whole book of Proverbs is working on us at this level. Uh, The father kind of figure throughout Proverbs is saying, I see things that you can't see. I want what's best for you. I want to show you the beauty of what you can't see. I love you, so I'll warn you of danger. And I'll say it in ways that are vivid and memorable. But sweet speech, it also speaks the truth in love. I think that's a key characteristic of it. Uh, it's the way that Paul describes it later in the New Testament. And I think it you know, ties in really well with what we see happening here in Proverbs. When we speak sweetly, we speak honestly for another's good. And so there's this emphasis on honesty in Proverbs, being a trustworthy person. Proverbs 24, 26. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. And it's different to false testimony and, and lies that get addressed time and time again in Proverbs. So Proverbs 12, 22. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. This kind of honesty shows itself in confession at times. Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Also see this emphasis on speaking from the heart. Proverbs 27, verse 9 in the ESV. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. That's like Bob Kramer sharing his concern with David Powelson, sharing his heart. But we also see this focus on rebuke as well. Proverbs 27, 5 to 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Proverbs 28, 23. Whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favour rather than one who has a flattering tongue. A whole range of Proverbs warn against flattery and the kind of heart behind it. And again, I think of what Bob said to to David Pallison. He said, you know, if you continue in this way, you're going to destroy yourself. They weren't necessarily easy words to hear. Um, I think of some of my uh, members of extended family who've given us some input on parenting at times. Some of you who will know me well will have heard some of this, but Sometimes we've heard comments that have been designed to kind of maybe shine a line on our our motives that we haven't considered before or to ask questions about different ways of responding to our children than what we were able to see at the time. And some of the times I've responded well to that, some of the times I've got defensive. But as I've sat with those comments over time, they've actually been really, really helpful. 
and I've come to see them in this wider context of being spoken for my good. That's what rebuke does. It's worth saying that we need both truth and love. To have one without the other, it ends up being a distortion. So, for example, uh, if you love without honesty as a parent, perhaps you might build up your child to think that they'll be the next Australian idol. But the trouble is, no one's ever had the honesty to tell them that they just can't sing in tune. Honesty without love can be harsh. We let a child know when we find them annoying. And instead of bearing with their differences or their weaknesses, we can just speak words that crush their spirit. Here's an example of a lack of honesty, how it might play out in a church context. A non-Christian couple start coming to church. They're open about the fact that they're living together uh, and excited to, to share the message of Jesus with them. The congregation warmly welcomes them. They come to trust in Jesus and then the elders speak to them about the fact that they can't keep living together. And shocked, they turn away and leave the church. What happened there? I'm sure there's much that was well-intended I'm sure there was a good desire to say, you know, you don't have to have your life together before you come to Jesus. We we all know that's not the gospel. It's not about fix yourself up and get yourself right. No, it's it's come to me, Jesus says, as you are. But I wonder in these kind of situations that I've, I've heard of playing out elsewhere, I wonder if it's possible that a lack of honesty about the living together uh, under Jesus, that there was just no conversation about it. I wonder if that kind of set that couple up for a fall. If we need to have a, an honesty that, that, that welcomes but, but doesn't set people up with false expectations as well. Also, we see that a sweet speech reflects self-control. So we're to have a, a filter on our mouths. We don't just speak the first thing that enters our minds. Sometimes we hold our tongue. Proverbs ten nineteen: Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. We guard our lips. Proverbs twenty one twenty three, Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. We're careful with the way we respond and we're wary of anger. Proverbs 15, 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And Proverbs seventeen twenty seven, The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. And whoever has understanding is even-tempered. We also see that sweet speech is timely and fitting. So Proverbs fifteen twenty-three: A person finds joy in giving an apt reply. And how good is a timely word? Sometimes it's a wise correction that's needed. Proverbs twenty-five twelve: Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. I think again at this point of my father-in-law who shared that the proverb I read earlier about a gentle answer turning away wrath. He shared that with me at a moment when we were in a, a difficult conflict situation and we were prone to speaking our anger in ways that could have caused damage. And hearing that proverb was just profoundly helpful for us in that moment and changed the course of, of how we moved forward. But sometimes we need a kind word. Proverbs 12.25 Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. I think of my nana, 
is no longer with us, but I think in childhood where there was some situation, I don't remember what it was, but I knew that I felt like a failure. And she, I didn't need to say anything. She, she already knew what I was thinking. She knew me that well. And she spoke to my fear and she highlighted the fact that she knew my intentions were good. And that set my fears at ease. It cheered my heart. I want us to consider Jesus' sweet speech for a moment in terms of this idea of being timely and fitting, appropriate to the person. Consider the way that Jesus speaks particularly to the simple, the fool, the mocker, and the crushed in spirit. Now I'm indebted to, to Zach Eswine, who's helped me to see this. But he picks up on the fact that the, the voice of wisdom is crying out in Proverbs one twenty two, How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? So there are three types of people here. The simple, the mocker, and the fool. But later, Proverbs introduces us to a fourth, the crushed in spirit. And we don't have time to unpack these in detail. But the point is, each person requires a different type of response. And we see Jesus living out this wisdom in his ministry. To the simple, to those open to anything... He says things like, count the cost of following me. You might dream of a trouble-free life, but it's not going to be a bed of roses. Why? Well, he wants to give them realistic expectations. He knows they won't go the distance without it if they don't know what they're they're up for. To the fool, someone confident in their own opinion, unwilling to listen, Jesus tells them parables. Parables that are relatable, and yet the meaning is hidden. Why? So that they might say, I don't understand. Master, would you teach me? To the mocker, a hard-hearted person who tends to be violent in their opposition, Jesus says, woe to you. Words of judgment. Why? When Jesus says, woe to you, he actually hasn't stopped speaking to you. And that's a good thing. It's not too late. It's being called out for your sin but there's opportunity to cry for mercy and to turn back to him like the Ninevites who repented at the preaching of Jonah to the crushed in spirit those oppressed, mistreated at the hands of others, the weak, the vulnerable Jesus speaks tenderly a bruised reed he will not break the point is this, Jesus lived this out, he spoke sweetly Each of his kind of tailored approaches to each person was intended to give them life and where to follow in his steps. So if I ask the question, what is sweet speech? It's in a whole bunch of things. We could put it this way. Sweet speech is sweet like wisdom. It's persuasive. It speaks the truth in love. It practices self-control. It's timely and fitting. But where does sweet speech come from? I think Proverbs is a pain to tell us that it's about the kind of person that you are. So Proverbs 15.2, the tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. Knowledge comes from the wise, folly from the fool. The words we speak reflect whether we are wise or foolish, whether on the path of life or death. Another interesting way that Proverbs comes at this is 
It's what satisfies us as the ones doing the speaking. So we've considered kind of the, the sweetness of speech to the person listening, but Proverbs also talks about the appetite of the speaker. So Proverbs 18, 20 to 21. From the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Are you satisfied by rash, angry words that cause harm? Words that tear down and destroy. Words that bring death. Or are you filled by speaking for others' good? Words that build others up, that are good for them to hear. Words that give life. In other words, the way we speak reveals our heart. So it's no surprise that Jesus links our words uh, to being produced by our hearts. Matthew 12, uh, 33 and following, he says, Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. I think the reality for us is that at any given moment, either a love for God is ruling our hearts or a desire for some other thing has taken its place. I think of a moment at home in our house that I've shared with others before to illustrate this kind of thing. I try and choose a a discreet moment to respond to an SMS that's not kind of, you know, in the middle of family dinner time or when things are chaotic at home. And what I found is that often I'm still interrupted. Uh, by one of our children that is oblivious to the fact that I've got my phone out and I'm in a mid-train of thought. And I've found that I have this habit of, I can can just snap at them. And and what's going on there is I'm wanting kind of peace and quiet and an uninterrupted moment. And, and, you know, they've kind of blocked that goal. And my interpretation is, you're in the way of what I want right now. So the words we're speaking, they either come from a heart of love or manipulation. Love is, I want what's best for you. Manipulation is, I want something. How can I use you to get what I want? Now we'll take a look uh, at a couple of visual tools that I use in uh, counselling, if we can get them up on the screen. Um, The first one is what I call a negative feedback loop. And I usually use this in marriage counselling. But it could picture any relationship. And what it's showing is the fact that we live from our hearts. And here you've got a number of things going on. Uh, We each come with our particular complaints or problems from the relationship. But we respond with the same kind of behaviour that we normally do, reinforcing the pattern. Uh, Each person's seeing what they're not getting from the other person, but nothing changes. But if we look at the next slide, let's think about the desires that operate in the heart. For one person on the left... There's desires for comfort, predictability, ease and control. For the other, on the right, there's desires to be understood, heard and valued. Now those things aren't bad things. The problem is that when these things rule the heart, uh, both people are actually manipulating one another. It's not love. Then the next slide uh, shows a different dynamic. It's loving God with our hearts 
It's where a love for God, it trumps all other desires and results in a love for the other person, a putting their interests before your own. And it leads to a very different outcome. Both people are actually encouraged in Christ. To flesh this out a little, let's look at the next slide. Um, that comes up. Yep. So when a love for God rules our hearts, we may still desire some of the same things, but the thing is that they're not at the top of the list anymore. Other things kind of fill up that top section. Here we see a desire to please the Lord, to reflect his character to the other person, to act for their good, to submit to, to them. Now, uh, if the slide we've just been kind of unpacking there, uh, go to the next one. If that was a, kind of the big picture of the relationship, the recurring pattern, this one's kind of like one little moment of conflict. Uh, there's a situational trigger for conflict at the top. There are arrows being fired across, uh, ways of attacking the other person, defensive shields being put, put up, ways that we protect ourselves in conflict. And beneath that, our desires... Um, particular things that we're wanting and not getting. So this slide, the next one, just walks us through how we can use this to gain insight into ourselves. We can ask, what happened that triggered the conflict? What particular words or actions did I take to attack the other person? What particular words or actions did I do to protect myself? And then the heart beneath it. What did I set my heart on? What was I wanting and not getting? What specific desires were ruling my heart in that moment? I could map out my texting example. Uh, the trigger was an interruption through writing an SMS. I attacked by speaking harsh words. I was wanting a moment of peace and quiet, free from interruptions. A bad thing? No. But in that moment, I wanted it too much. And I saw my child being in the way of what I wanted instead of someone to love. The good news is, we don't need this one now. Uh, so the good news is that we're all invited to become wise. Uh, Jesus is actually holding out the invitation to each of us. Each one of us has spoken at times in ways that has exposed our foolishness. Each one of us have had other things rule our hearts other than a love for God. And at times each of us have failed in our speech to love others and, and instead tried to use them. But Jesus says, I have forgiveness. That's as deep as your problem. He says, come to me. Leave your prickly ways of speaking behind. I'll make you clean. I'll give you a new heart. I'll enable you to speak sweetly as I do. So we're asking, where does sweet speech come from? And we've seen that sweet speech flows from the heart. And that kind of really huge relief for us and our hope is that Jesus gives us new hearts so we can actually grow in sweet speech. And so for our final section, we're kind of asking, how do I grow in speaking sweetly? And I want to give you two different activities that you might like to do from here. And they go in different directions. The first one is... I'm encouraging you to think of someone who's impacted you. And the second one, think of someone that you're currently interacting with on a regular basis. The first one, pick someone who's spoken sweetly to you. I'm going to mention a little bit of detail here, um, but if we pull up that last slide again, um, you'll see this detail up on that link. So instead of having to write this down, if you want to remember it, you could just write down that link down and uh, come back to it later. 
to the person who's spoken sweetly to you, first question to ask is, in what ways has this person lived out a sweet way of speaking? And then secondly, what can you learn and put into practice from them? The second one is uh, to pick one relationship. Uh, And I'm going to ask you to make this person the focus of your application today and over the next two weeks. So this week, the focus will be, going forward, on your speech with this particular person. So be helpful to think of someone who you're likely to have a number of interactions with over the week. And what I want you to do is to kind of capture scenes of life. Pay attention to particular interactions that you have and then kind of review them in hindsight. And these are the kind of things that you might ask yourself. One, did my words bring life or death? Did I produce thorns or fruit? Secondly, how did that interaction reveal my heart? Thirdly, confess and ask God for help if you find that you kind of responded in prickly, thorny ways. If, on the other hand, you see that you bore fruit and the Spirit was at work in you, give thanks and ask for the Lord's help to grow in a a more and more kind of way, as Paul teaches us in the New Testament. Your loving well will do so more and more. Fourth, how can a love for God reshape the desires of my heart? If you've seen that your heart's strained, it's really helpful to think through. How can a love for God reshape these desires? The final question, fifth, how does a love for God change my attitude, my tone of voice, and the words that I speak? That's all for now. Uh, Please join me in prayer. Jesus, we praise you because your words are sweet. Many of us have heard your voice firsthand. We have tasted and seen that your words are good. We praise you because your words give life. You always speak with our good at heart. We confess to you that our ways of speaking are often less than sweet. Sometimes our words tear down and destroy instead of building up and healing. Would you forgive us? Would you help us to live out of the new hearts that you've promised us? Would you give us all that we need to grow in speaking sweetly to all around us? May we reflect your glory and goodness in our speech. In your name, amen.